0: It's long after dusk, and it's been an exhausting day as the moon casts shadows on the ground. There's a peculiar chill in the air as a young man pushes his cart full of wood and kindling down the winding streets. He's on his way to make his final delivery to the temple courts. But everything's taken way longer than it's usually supposed to because of this festival See, during this holiday, hundreds of thousands of people make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Passover, this national holiday that marks when God brought Pharaoh to his knees using the plagues, and the final plague involving the blood of a lamb spread on the doorpost that would bring protection to God's children and ultimately secure their deliverance. But. As this young man rounds each corner with his cart, he hears whispers and stories being exchanged about this scuffle that took place on the hillside where a man attacked a guard and maybe cut off his ears. Did you hear that? Did you hear? I don't know. Is that true? His wheels squeak on the cobblestone as he makes his way into the temple courtyard to drop off his final bundles of wood at the temple fire pits. And to his surprise, where it's normally pretty empty, there is crowds of people surrounding each one of the fire pits. And there's this buzz in the courtyard of people exchanging stories and sharing rumors about what has taken place in these recent events. Each pit is surrounded by servants and guards and officials, dock workers, people trying to get warm in this chilly night air. As the young man bends over, to gather his final bundle of wood, he hears a man's voice yell out, "'I don't know what you're talking about!' And a hush falls over the courtyard. All eyes are fixed on this big, barrel-chested dock worker who's standing toe-to-toe with a young girl. But the young girl, she's not gonna back away. For the third time, she points his finger, her finger at him, and she says, "Hey." Don't I recognize you as the one that was up on the hillside with him? And this man, he blows his fuse. He says, you shut up, I never knew the man. And in the background, we hear a rooster crow. And this grown man, his lip begins to tremble and he looks like he's seen a ghost. As tears begin to stream down his face, he starts pushing his way past the fire pits, past the crowds to make his way out of the town. And he is sobbing inconsolably with a depth of agony that nobody has ever heard. And as he makes his way through the city streets, his bitterness and weeping can be heard echoing off the stone walls of Jerusalem. This moment is the backdrop for the passage of scriptures that we're gonna look at today. This is a look into the life of Peter and one of his greatest moments of failure. Peter is an OG disciple, if you don't know who he is. He's the first one that Jesus had called. Peter had been a fisherman, a business owner. He was successful. And Jesus calls him and says, I want to invite you to follow me. I want to invite you into this new life mission to become a fisher of men. And the thing about Peter is this. Peter lives loud. Peter is a ride or die guy. Peter is the one, the the only one who ever walked on water with Jesus. Peter is the first one to answer the question when Jesus says, who do people say I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Peter lives loud and with energy. He pledged his life and his allegiance to Jesus. In fact, on the hillside that night, He's the only one that threw hands to defend Jesus, grabs a knife, chops off a dude's ear. Peter's the one that follows Jesus and his arrest as the torches make their way across the hillside into the temple courtyard where he's gonna be tried and tried and tortured. I'm reminding you this about Peter because I think Peter gets a bad rap because of the denial because of his greatest moments of failure. And I'm sure that's a part of his story that he wished had never happened and had never been written. And now in that moment that we just looked at, Peter walks away from the fire. Likely walks away from his faith. Probably thinking he'll never be able to forgive himself. Peter's life is devastated by a fireside chat about Jesus. We're in a series called Facts, right? We've been in it for the last couple weeks. And each week, our goal has been to look at an aspect of God's character that we can, like, bank on. The goal has not been to just give you some information and some stories, but to actually try to reintroduce you to just how beautiful and amazing our God is. In church world, when you hear something that's said that's a fact, most people say, amen. In our culture, when somebody says something that's a fact, they're like, facts, that's true. And so that's why we've called this series Facts. And today, I want to explore how Jesus responds to our greatest failures. What is true of him when what is true of us is just a pile of mistakes, and rubble, and failures, and brokenness. Because here's the fact. In the face of our greatest failures, Jesus is a restorer. He restores our failures. And I suspect for most of us, if you're like me, on the other side of our mistakes, on the other side of our failures, our default expectation is what? Probably judgment to be shamed and ridiculed, maybe to be labeled, to be abandoned and tossed aside, to get the cold shoulder, to be brushed off because that's the way we're conditioned by our parents or our, our spouse or significant others. Maybe it's how we're conditioned by our friends or our boss. And so we take those experiences and we kind of transpose them onto our relationship with God and go, man, when I blow it, when I make a mistake, that's probably how God's going to respond. That's probably how he feels. That's probably how he sees me. But I think as we look in the pages of Scripture today, when it comes to Peter, we're going to get a different perspective because Jesus' love, it hits different. In our greatest failures, in our wandering, in our rebellion, his love is restorative. So can we look at how that happens for the life of Peter? Yes, Gary, we can. We can. Thank you. Let's do that. If you got a Bible, you got a device, you can turn to John chapter 21. We're going to read this entire passage from verse 3 to verse 14. It's on the screens if you don't have anything. You can read along with me. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we're going to go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples, they followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it. And some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came. He took the bread and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is how Jesus engages Peter. I think it's kind of interesting at the end of this passage that the author drops this little nugget. He says this. This was the third appearance Jesus made to his disciples. And you know what I wonder when I read this? I wonder if by chance Peter wasn't there the other two times Jesus appeared to his disciples. I wonder if the first time after the resurrection the disciples are hunkered down in Jerusalem. They're hiding out because all chaos is breaking out. Doors are locked. Curtains drawn. They're scared to death. And Jesus, bam! Surprise! hey, where, where's Peter? The disciples like, yeah, Peter, he, he's not here. What do you mean he's not here? All right, I'll be back. I mean, not like back, back when I rapture people, but I'll be back in a little bit. And Jesus leaves and he comes back a second time and there's no Peter. But Thomas is there that time and Thomas gets to put his finger in his side and in his hands. But this third time, he's trying to find Peter. Do you remember what the angel said to Mary the morning of the resurrection beyond the the message of, uh, what you looking for? He ain't dead no more. Beyond that message, the angel says to Mary, go tell the disciples and Peter. Peter gets a special call out resurrection morning. The the angel specifically calls out Peter's name. Why? Is it because Peter's a favorite child? Mm, Probably not. Was it heaven's way of saying, tell all the disciples and tell Peter, because that boy in trouble when I get back? Mm, probably not. I wonder if the angel gave that specific instruction to Mary, because Jesus knew Peter would probably be so wrecked by his failures that he would feel like he's disqualified. He might want to quit and tap out. So in John 21, In this story, the flashing neon sign we see in the story that's so obvious that we can easily skip over it is this. Jesus pursues us when we fail, and he reminds us of who we are. The restorer, this fact that Jesus is a restorer, is never passive. His arms are never folded, waiting for you to perform before he starts to engage you. Jesus told a ton of stories and parables so that this image would be seared in our minds. He tells a story about a lost coin and a woman who tears up her house. She's not gonna rest until she finds what was lost. Jesus tells a story about a lost sheep and says, you know what a good shepherd does? He leaves the 99 and he's gonna go looking until he finds that sheep. And then he backs it up with another story about a lost son, a prodigal son who wanders away and a father who is humiliated and disgraced by his son's behavior. But the father doesn't sulk in the house. The father paces on the front porch looking for his son to come home. And when he sees on the horizon his son's starting to make his way home, he doesn't sit back and go, I can't wait to lecture him. He actually runs towards his son to love on him, to bless him, and to restore him. These are the stories that Jesus told, but he wonders if Peter ever heard them and really listened. Paul picks up this in Romans 5, 8 when he says, but God demonstrates his own love of us. God demonstrates his own love of us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more so have we been reconciled? Shall we be saved through his life? While we were sinners, at our worst, God was already moving towards us in our brokenness, and he does the same thing in the middle of our failures. He moves towards us. So today, if you find yourself Feeling pretty knocked down by life, by your failures, by your mistakes. You feel tripped up and broken. You feel like one big old fat mistake. Maybe you're watching online because you're like, I will never darken the doors of the church or the ground might open up and swallow me. And that's why you don't come up here in person. If you are hearing the words coming out of my mouth, Jesus is pursuing you, even now, in your mess and in your failings. Peter didn't go looking for Jesus that day. Jesus came, and he found Peter, and Peter didn't even know it. Did you catch this little nugget in the story? Peter, who had walked intimately with Jesus for three years, who had heard him preach all the sermons, who had spent day and night, night and day, listening to him, talking to him, he, this morning, no longer recognizes the voice of Jesus. John has to lean over and say, hey, it's the Lord. I wonder if our mistakes and our failures, if we don't deal with them, if they can dull our ability to recognize the voice of our gracious Savior because it speaks so loud about who we are and how we have forfeited our identity as loved sons and daughters of God. Maybe you're here today and you're not feeling very wrecked by your mistakes. You feel like life's, like Nacho Libre would say, it's good. Maybe you feel like life has treated you pretty well. But maybe you can be the person that John was for Peter. Maybe you can be the person for someone else who does feel wrecked to remind them that, hey, It's the Lord and he's a restorer. If there's someone you know that's blown it and you know they're just being owned by shame, you might be the person God wants to use in their life to reacquaint them with the fact that he restores, that he loves, that he gives another chance and he wants to meet with them. Jesus pursues us and our failings. Real obvious question. Why did Peter go fishing? Uh, To catch some fish. Yeah, good job. For those of you that like to get away from his wife and kids, uh, you might need some help. We're gonna be praying for you, and you might need a ride home today. Uh, No, Peter went fishing to catch some fish. The guy had an identity before he started following Jesus, didn't he? We said he was a business owner. He was a fisherman, and he was good at it. That's how he made his living. But not this night. Nothing is worse than investing a ton of your hours and your sweat and your energy and coming up empty-handed, is it? But Jesus had some fish, didn't he? That's the second thing I I think pops out to me when I read this story, that Jesus can provide the very thing you're fishing for, the things you're trying to go after in your life, Jesus can provide those. Jesus begins his restoration mission with Peter with a question. His question is, hey, have you caught anything? And I don't think it's Jesus being passive-aggressive trying to shame him or play a game with him. But I think he's bringing a little clarity to the futility of their efforts apart from him. I think God sometimes, he asks asks us that kind of question when we're flailing around on our own apart from him. Maybe he doesn't say, hey, have you caught anything because you ain't fishing? But for me, he might go, hey, Gary, how's that working out for you on your own? How's that self-reliance serving you? Hey, Gary, how's it working when you try to strong-arm your teenager to get him to do X, Y, Z? Hmm. Hey, Gary, how's that working in your marriage when you just wanna win the argument instead of listening and, and humbling yourself? How's that working out for you? Jesus had been really explicit in John 15 when he said, you need to stay connected to me because apart from me, you can do Nothing. Peter and his buddies that night, you know what they nailed? Nothing. You know what I can do? You know what you and I can do apart from him? Nothing. We can strive to live our life on our own terms without him, and our best efforts apart from him eh, usually doesn't produce anything. It produces a bunch of nothingness that affects our significance and a takes away a sense of having purpose and direction. Our sense of belonging is full of nothingness because we're trying to forge our own way in our life, and God's not designed us to live that way. Hundreds of years, this isn't a new concept for Peter. It's not a new concept for us. This has been going on for centuries. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, he worded it this way. He said, my people have committed two sins, They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. That's doing life without Jesus. And they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can't even hold water. Have you ever been like crazy, crazy thirsty and you pull up to McDonald's to get a large, super large Coke because it's 99 cents and I'm cheap. And you drive away and you you get so excited to take a drink and you put the straw in there and the straw is broken. Nothing can be as frustrating as that sometimes. But that's what it feels like when we try to do life on our own terms without Jesus in the center of it. It's like trying to drink out of a broken straw and it just never really, it really satisfies us. So these dudes have been fishing all night long and all they have to show for it was a bunch of nothing mess. And I think sometimes God will let us wear ourselves out Sometimes I have to try on my own so long that I exhaust myself out enough that I can stop and surrender and hear the voice of God going, have you caught anything? How's that going for you? So I can get back on the path where he meets us. But in the story, one word from Jesus changed everything for them, didn't it? It's a reminder for you and I that we need to evaluate our lives and discern if we're out here on our own trying to produce the life that we want apart from God. So Peter, in this story, he gets word that, that it's Jesus, and he does that Petery thing. He dives head first in to swim, to be the first person to get to Jesus. And when he gets there, what does he find? He finds a gracious savior waiting for him with breakfast ready. Jesus knew they were gonna be hungry and exhausted and he had already provided on the fire bread and fish. He provided for them the very things that they were fishing for. It kind of calls back to Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 when Jesus said, why don't you just come to me, everybody who's weary and burdened and I'll give you rest, that's what you're looking for. Yet he tells Peter in that moment, hey, go grab some fish out of the net that you just caught. What's that about? Is Jesus stingy? Is he, is he a germaphobe? Does Jesus just not, like, not, not like to share his food? Because I have some friends that are like that and I don't know, that's not Christ-like. Jesus had fish and bread already on the fire, so why did he tell Peter to go get some fish out of the net? I don't know for sure. I think it could be a couple of things. Maybe he wanted Peter to hold that fish in his hands to say, that's a tangible reminder that I'll provide for you what you're fishing for. You had nothingness. I gave you word you caught fish, but look, I'd already provided for you what you wanted. Or maybe he was saying, Peter, what's you're holding in your hand? That's a tangible reminder of the old life that you had. You used to be a fisher that cared about this, but I've called you to something much greater. I've got a bigger destiny for you. So don't go back to this old way of living because I got something grander in mind for your future. And what we do know is that Peter's greatest failure, his denial, did not derail the future and the mission that God had in store for him. What we see in the story is Jesus giving Peter another chance is anybody in this room grateful that God gives second chances and third chances and 10th chances and 15th chances? I mean, how many times have we been, we've been the recipient of his grace being extended to us? So here's another thing that I think we can take from this story. Jesus invites us to trust and obey him and watch for the miraculous. I was in a conversation with my dad a while back, and we were talking about mistakes. And my dad said, Gary, every mistake and failure that you and I make is an invitation for God to say, Look again. You can try again. You can re engage and learn and grow from what has taken place. Peter was exhausted. He, he could have simply ignored Jesus' voice. They'd been fishing all night long. And when Jesus said, Cast to the other side, he could have been like, Yeah, no thanks, bro. But he didn't. And because he didn't, he didn't miss out on the miracle. The miracles, plural miracles. See, I think there are two miracles. The first one is very obvious. The first miracle here is the miracle of the fish. It's no accident that the author, pinning this story in a matter of six verses, three times he says, There's so many fish, a miraculous number of fish. Verse six, they can't haul it in because it's so full. Verse eight, they're dragging a net full of fish. Verse 11, a net full of large fish, 153. And in verse 11, he highlights a second miracle. It says, but even with so many, the net was not torn. What's implied in that statement to me? is that when you catch 153 large fish, usually the net would be torn. But somehow, God not only provided the miracle of 153 large fish, he also provided an increased supernatural capacity to receive the blessing that he was gonna give them. Would anybody in this room like to be blessed so much that God has to expand your capacity to even receive the blessings he wants to pour out into your life? Like you're praying for a miracle in your marriage. You're praying for a financial miracle in your life. You're praying for a breakthrough in your spirituality. And God's like, I want to pour out some big blessings, but they don't even have the capacity to receive it. So you know what I want to do? I want to expand their ability to receive the miracle that I have for them because I love my kids. That's the kind of person I want to be. I want to say, God, do that inside me. Because the reality is that God can expand your capacity to receive blessings when you take a risk and you do what he says. Week one, Nathan said, God's strategic. Our job is to be obedient. I'm doubling down on that and saying when you are obedient, it allows capacity for God to pour his blessings into your life. So what if by taking a chance, taking a risk, by being obedient, you could experience exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think? They spent the whole night and caught nothing, but God said, let me show up and show out. So maybe your obedience is the door hinge that the miraculous swings on today. You're like, wait a minute, Gary, it sounds like you preaching prosperity gospel, bro. I'd argue it's not prosperity gospel when you look at the whole story here. Did Jesus provide, provide miraculously for Peter and the disciples in this story? Yes. Did he expand their capacity? Yes. But Peter first had to obey and do what God said. And then the conversation that follows when Jesus is like, hey, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Well, then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Well, then shepherd my people. Jesus challenges Peter. To follow him and obey him. And then he follows it up by saying, hey, Peter, as you follow me and obey me, it's going to cost you. Your obedience is going to cost you your will. In fact, this is how you're going to die. You want to follow me and be a disciple. It's going to cost you your life. And you find your life when you lay your life down. When you say yes to your ways and not my ways, then that is where obedience paves the way for us to be disciples and follow Him. Extravagant blessing from extraordinary obedience. Our greatest failures are not our finale. The fact is that Jesus will always pursue you if you will say yes again. And if you'll surrender and follow him, you'll find out that he's gracious and he graciously restores his kids. A God who's not done writing your story. Peter's darkest moment, his greatest failure, paved the way for you and I to be here today. What do you mean by that, Gary? Peter. We all say he screwed up, right? Yeah. Huge mistake. 50 days later, after this conversation with Jesus, and his heart is restored, Peter, 50 days later, preaches the first gospel message in the book of Acts chapter 2. And you know what happens? The church is born. 3,000 people are baptized that day. Just days after his darkest moment, God restores him and uses him. And that's the story I believe he wants to write in the hearts of his kids here today and those of you watching online that no matter how far you've gone, he wants to restore you. And he's got grand plans for you. Plans not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. But he has to invite you to follow Earlier, I said, Peter's life is devastated by a fireside chat about Jesus, right? Well, guess what? Peter's life is restored by a fireside chat with Jesus. Psalm 145 says this, The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises, and he's faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fail and he lifts up all who are bowed down. So maybe today, this whole morning has been a fireside chat where Jesus wants to speak to you and I and he wants to remind us that he ain't done and you're not done and he's a restorer. So I wanna invite you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. As I said earlier today, maybe you're in this room and you've been following Jesus for a while and you don't feel like your life is is wrecked by mistakes. Well, maybe the response God's looking for from you today is that you would say, hey, I'll be a conduit. I wanna be a vessel for the fact that you want to restore someone around me that's bound by their past. And maybe the application for you today is maybe you need to to call somebody and have a coffee this week so you can encourage them. Maybe you need to send a text to let them know before you leave the parking lot today that you love them and that God loves them and he's still on the move and pursuing them. And maybe you're sitting here today and you go, Gary, my life, Whew. I make Peter look like he was JV because I've blown it that big. You feel the weight of your mistakes. Maybe you're carrying burdens from mistakes that you have been carrying around for 30 years or maybe they're mistakes that happened 30 minutes ago. Today's invitation is to look again to find rest in surrendering. And so if you have never placed your whole life in his hands and said, God, I want you to lead and I'll follow, then today is a day for you to respond. And I think as you respond, hopefully you've gotten a glimpse into the heart of heaven that is gracious and invitational towards you. And so if you're in the room and you want to respond to Jesus' love, maybe for the very first time with nobody looking around, I just want to invite you right now to just raise your hand so I can pray for you. If you want to make that decision to say, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to leave the mistakes in the past. I see your hand. I'm going to leave the mistakes of the past in the past, and I'm going to begin a new journey with you. If you're watching online and that's you, you can just type in the chat, I'm, I'm leaving it behind. And because we believe that we are a church family and we stand with each other, we support each other, and we're all in need of the grace that's extended through the cross, we pray together out loud. So if you've made that decision today and you're making that decision for the first time, we're all going to pray out loud together. I want you to repeat these words after me. Dear Jesus, I know I've blown it and I know I need your grace so today I give you control. I place my trust in you and receive your forgiveness. I want to follow your ways because your ways lead to life. Can we just celebrate those who just prayed that prayer and made a decision to follow him? Yeah. so today, if that's you, if you've made that decision, man, we want to partner with you, we want to stand with you, so you can go to the website that you see on the screen, so that we can walk alongside you as you begin this new journey, and for those of you who have made that commitment to say, uh, there's a name, there's a family, there's a situation that came to mind where I want to step in and be used by God to be an encourager, I want to encourage you to do that. And before you leave, the prayer partners are going to make their ways to the cross. We're going to show a video, but if you want somebody to pray with you, maybe you've got some burdens that you want to unload and leave at the altars, or maybe you want somebody to just help lift up a prayer to heaven on your behalf, then these men and women that are going to be standing by the crosses would love the opportunity to pray with you. Watch this video, and thanks so much for being here today. Hey, Pathways. I don't know about you, but coming to church on a Sunday morning is one of the highlights of my week and something I look forward to because I know that God is on the move and working in the midst to change our lives. That is why we always take time to thank those who are joining us on mission by giving financially